0: Welcome to 50% with Marcel Combs, my good friend and mentor. I'm Deantha Grattan, and on this podcast, she will travel a journey of leadership with each guest as she analyzes the ingredients that lead women to their current role. Marcel's goal is for you to walk away with tools to support your very own journey, no matter where your current destination is today. Hi, DeAntha. Hi, Marcel.
1: How are you today? You know what? I'm great. Yep. You, know, you having a good day? I'm, I'm, having, a gr- I'm having a great day. <laughs> we, uh, inter- we always have a
2: good
0: time, don't
1: we? <laughs> we interviewed today <laughs> Kara Golden.
0: Yes, yeah, she's so interesting. Oh,
1: I mean, it's it's she's crazy. Busy. Um her she developed a product with her husband called Hint. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is right before we did this interview, I saw it on the shelf in in a in a store. Yeah. And I was like, this is just Different. such a, yeah. a story of success. It's, you know, she's a mom, she's a wife, mm-hmm. and yet she has worked really hard to try to produce a product that was really different, that came out of yeah. her own need. Her,
0: yeah, that's that part's interesting because she actually started in the tech world to begin uh-huh. with, and this is her journey uh, through all those things that were happening, so it's yeah. a great story. She
1: she's a great young woman, uh-huh. and so let's go and listen to what she has to say. Here we go. And now just a word from our sponsor.
0: And now back to our show.
1: Hello! <laughs> Hello, Kara. This is Marcel. We are just excited to hear everything that you have to say.
2: Oh, you're so nice to have me.
1: I wanted to just start with for you to take a few minutes and talk to us about just your journey on how you got to where you are today and just let the audience know how you know what led to this you can start at any age you want to i swear i've had guests to uh start at basically birth uh but others who start at some other point in that journey but i think everyone's interested in how someone who is successful as you are today has what what walk that they have taken um and what path uh that led them to
2: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, am the last of five kids. Uh, we can start and stop there. So I, and for anybody who has millions of kids in their family or (laughs) lots of kids. So, and I was, I I think I felt ripped off at a very young age. I I was just sharing the story with somebody earlier that, um, I had older brothers and sisters, like we almost had two families and I had brother and sister that were 14 and 15 years older than me. And so in my mind, they had money and I didn't. And like, (laughs) I wanted to go to the mall and buy things that they were buying and I didn't have any money because I couldn't work. And so it was, uh, so I was constantly trying to figure out, you know, how I could get a babysitting job or i start Mm -hmm. my own camp. Um, I mean, I always had something going on um yeah. you know that i would try and figure out I, I remember trying to mow the lawn and my dad wouldn't let me do that because it was like so concerned that i'd cut my foot off but he'd let my <laughs> brothers like cut their feet off right yeah <laughs> like
1: <laughs> somehow that was okay it was
2: fine but not me and so um so anyway i was always like trying to figure out, I, I was tenacious at a, a young age trying to, you know, figure out exactly how I would make things happen. But fast forward, um, I was a gymnast too. I was an avid runner growing up. That was like the one thing that my parents said that we had to do in our house. Um, we didn't have to have, we didn't have to work or have money, but we had to play sports. So we were always in sports. And I think like the thing that you learn about sports is when you have to do it, all the time is that there's different seasons for different things, right? And there's some things that you're going to be good at and some things that you're not going to be good at. And so um, I think owning your failures, you learn that in sports pretty quickly and just have a good time. So, softball for me, I was never a great mm-hmm. softball player, but people still wanted me on the team because I would, you know, j- laugh, laugh at myself <laughs> and just be yeah. ridiculous, right? Sometimes I'd just be sitting on the bench. Um, and, but, you know, I think I was always fast. And so if oh. you put me into a position or I would, I was constantly, I was doing Bonnie Bell marathons or 10 Ks. If you remember those as a,
1: they were yeah. all over
2: the US. I was constantly doing those, um, which was a lot of fun. But anyway, fast forward years later, I, I graduated from college. I went to school in Arizona and graduated in I I was a communications major with a minor in finance and I tell students when I'm speaking and about uh, sort of how I decided to take finance classes. I was terrified of finance when I walked Mm. into college and I had some friends who were taking finance and I wanted to be in classes with them. And so I I, like, I mean, that was it. And I remember thinking the first test that I got back that didn't look so great in finance that I was like. Wow, this is tough. Like this is I, this is one of these. I don't know how I'm going to be able to pull my way through this. And what I realized is that if I if I really focused on something and I figured out ways to get me to understand something, then I could make it through just in general in life. And so, I started somebody had recommended Fortune magazine to me to kind of understand some bigger um sort of textbook things that we were learning but more applicable because they talked about stories and how things were used and you know EBITDA and you know PL, or like they would talk about it in companies and so I started reading and I found like through stories that that's how I was able to understand concepts and then it would help me to really understand kind of the nuts and bolts that I was learning in school well I ended up getting a minor in finance and um <laughs> Yeah. And I remember thinking that those were my most challenging classes. Writing was always really easy for me. Um, mm. But when I graduated from college, uh, I, I thought, gosh, I want to go work for Fortune magazine because they they really inspired me to, mm. to do something that I didn't think I was capable of. And when I started um, looking at at the Career Services Center and where people came on campus and and to interview people for jobs, Fortune Magazine wasn't coming to Arizona State University at that time. <laughs> and they were, and no magazines were. And Ooh. here I was a communications major with a minor in finance. And I thought I should just look on the masthead. I mean, isn't that how everybody looks for jobs? I mean, none of my friends were, but I, there's probably other people out there that do it that way. Um I think people are really surprised that I, you know, had um, you know, the wherewithal to sort of figure out that that's how you go and find jobs. It seemed really simple to me in in oh. some bizarre way, but anyway, I I uh, ended up writing to the head of the editor, managing editor of Fortune magazine and I wrote a nice letter and said, "Hey, here's why I want to work for you and here's why you should hire me." And like, and your stories are what moved me and what give me confidence and, and all of those things. Well, he wrote me a very nice note back, which basically said, if you're ever in the New York area, here I am in Arizona, but I'm like, (laughs) oh, well, that's a step. I mean, if I'm ever in the New York area, little did I know that that was kind of a dear John letter. I mean I showed it to some of my friends I'm like what do you know you're n- you're not inter- you're not even doing what I'm doing I mean I'm I'm you know looking I'm I'm going to go find it and uh, so I bought a plane ticket and I went to New York and and I went to the HR department and I said I'm here to see Marshall Loeb and Ooh. um and you know they were like what huh what do you have an appointment nope no i don't i'm but he told me if i'm ever in the new york area and here's the letter and i mean i still remember the poor girl sitting at the head of the hr department she's like i i don't i've never seen anybody come in with this letter and uh and so she brought the head of hr in and i think she just thought it was so funny and i didn't think it was funny i i just thought you know what the heck i'm gonna Hopefully it'll work. I mean, it either You're works right. or it doesn't work. And and um instead she broke the news to me that Marshall only hires very experienced people at Fortune magazine. And I said, Well, is there anything else mm-hmm. in the building? I mean, I'm here. I have to go home <laughs> tomorrow, but I, you know, and so she said, Well, there's actually this job at Time magazine. And and so wow. I said, Well, I want, I mean. I didn't say this out loud. I I had enough EQ at that point to know, but I said, that'd be great. Can I interview for the job at time? And so I interviewed and uh, I'll never forget my first boss. She looked at me while I was in the interviewing process and she said, so how did you get here? Because there weren't a lot of people from Arizona State University interviewing in, in the time and life building. And it was, you know, one of the chapters in my book, I talk about this, that it was you know, I never knew that there was anything wrong with my education until I got to time. And it wasn't time's <laughs> fault, necessarily. It was all Ivy League kids that were there. And I just, yeah. you know, it was it was what it was. And, yeah. and so, but anyway, when Brooke was interviewing me, she said, you know, I, I've never interviewed anyone from Arizona State University. And I was like, <laughs> okay i mean you are now i mean and she yeah. thought i was so funny that i like actually got i i got a plane ticket i figured out with all my babysitting money and camp money and or not camp, the my own camp that i had created and um she thought i i want this person on my team and so mm. i was her executive assistant and ended up you know deciding that that I was either going to let it bother me that people had a different education or I, you know, or I wasn't. And all I could do was focus on what I could control. And Mm -hmm. so um, I was uh, there for a few years, got recruited out to go to kind of my first startup. We didn't call it that, but it was called CNN. So in 40% of households, Ted Turner was running around putting, you know, his stakes in the ground saying, yeah, it is, you know, great Atlanta, Southern accent. Like everyone needs news. It's all like news all around the world. We're <laughs> going to kill ABC and NBC, but there were days that it didn't look like it was really going to happen. And, yeah. you know, it was just it like, he was funny. He was very charismatic, but you know, there were still ABC and NBC, everybody was buying those and not buying CNN. And it wasn't until there was a major point in history where another part of the world saw that they were being bombed um, through CNN that it put CNN on the map. And again, I I was, you know, working at CNN when that happened and it was, it changed the face of CNN. And, um, but, you know, I think what I learned early on was, I learned culture, very different culture at CNN than at, at time, not necessarily, you know, better or worse, but just different. It was a startup culture. It was a founder led culture. Um, you know, of course, time is, is very old. The founders aren't alive anymore. Um, and so sort of getting my first taste of that i think i i loved it i loved the energy um i love the underdog uh side of it and uh and i met my husband in new york we moved um tell me if you want me to stop anywhere oh no go ahead here. so i i met my husband in new york um my kids love it when i t- share that i I met him in a bar in the village and uh, it can happen. We've been married for 26 years and um, yeah. And we um, anyway, we met in a bar and then he was graduated from law school and he wanted to do technology law and we got engaged and Mm -hmm. he wanted to move to San Francisco. And I'm like, okay, I've never been to San Francisco. It sounds good. And I mean, we can always (laughs) move back to New York and what's the worst that can happen and because I loved New York, still love New York. And uh, when we got to Silicon Valley, I didn't know anybody. Actually, I was living in San Francisco, but didn't know anybody. And I, I really felt like media all happened in New York and that it was kind of, you know, these satellite offices outside of New York. And I just, you know, once you've worked in kind of the main office in media, you, I don't know, you get sort of snobby about like, at least, you know, as you're climbing the ladder, you start to think, I don't know, like maybe I could do that, but I don't know if I should do that. And instead, I started to think about what other companies were in, you know, the Silicon Valley area. And I had a computer with my other babysitting money that I bought when I was in <laughs> college, uh, you know, one of the first iMacs. And I was attracted to, the sleekness, the Mm -hmm. design. I had uh, kind of read about Steve Jobs and was Mm -hmm. obsessed with Steve (laughs) Jobs. Like I was, and, you know, not very many people had, had, you know, Macintosh computers at the time, but I, Mm -hmm. I loved Macintosh and I had papers that I wanted to do and it was way better than doing it on a typewriter and dealing with, uh, that was an option, but dealing with whiteout and, all that kind of stuff was just All a hassle, that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, right. i I just thought, you know, it'd be super cool to work for Steve Jobs. And people were like, "Well, what would you do there? You don't have an engineering degree. You, I mean, you're not a computer or product person." I'm like, I don't know. I hadn't figured that part out yet. I I knew enough that I couldn't walk into uh, the HR offices now um, to <laughs> go and find. I, I thought, you know, they probably have security there. I, I, knew, I knew too many rules of sort of, you know, it, ignorance is bliss, right? Re- yeah. Remember that. And, and um, so instead, when I was doing my research, I found this little company that was spun out of Apple and they only had five people at working on it and uh, that had all worked for Steve at Apple and on, on this project that was doing CD-ROM shopping. This is 1994. And so I thought, well, I love to shop. So that that sounds good. I don't know anything about a disc other than I know it goes into the machine. Uh, But I thought, I don't know any people. Maybe I'll meet some people on this interview that I might like and I can (laughs) hang out with because I don't know anybody in San Francisco. And I thought I don't really want to work for Apple anyway because it's all the way in Cupertino. It's like an hour south, at least from San Francisco. Um, So I cold-called these guys that were working on this project. It was called Two Market, and I said, "Hey, I just moved to the Bay Area, and you know, I I was just curious, like what you guys are doing. I worked at this company called CNN, and they were like CNN." You worked at, some <laughs> place. we love, oh my God, Ted Turner. He is like, I'm like, well, how about you? You worked at Apple for Steve. I mean, yeah. that's amazing. And so we said, oh yeah, sure. Come in, come have coffee. And so I was like, okay, you know, what else am I doing? I'm just like sitting here. My husband's in his, you know, first year law, uh, you know, law employee. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so working
1: all the time, working
2: all the time. So I'm like, <laughs> what else do I have to do? So I go and get jump in and have this uh, informational interview. And then all of a sudden he's like, maybe you should come work for us. Like you you actually, you know how to like make money and build a business model. And, you know- <laughs> Make
1: money is probably a really good thing, right? It's a good
2: thing. And I was just, you know, five guys, they weren't in a garage, but they were in a terrible little office. But the other thing <laughs> that I learned about culture is that they seem to all be- like, there's a guy who had his PhD from Berkeley, like, re- really smart people. And they really, they cared more about my experience than where mm-hmm. I had gone to school or, you know, I said, "What do you, so what do you do exactly? And he's like, well, some days I take the garbage out, but, you know... so like, I don't know. I sort of, some days I work at this desk. I like working at this desk because it's by the window, but it's the first person who gets into the office, gets that desk. Like, and I just thought they were funny, you know? Yeah. And I I was like, it's a little trippy, very different from time or CNN, but it might be kind of fun to be here. And what's the, I mean, I could always quit. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? And I remember yeah. getting an employment contract and taking it home to my new lawyer almost husband and he was (laughs) like you're getting equity in the company they're giving you equity and I was like what's equity I mean I knew sort of what equity was but I was like what do you what do you mean like they're giving me shares in the company I mean wow that's I'm making more money at this company than I was making at CNN or -hmm. time and they're giving me shares in the company and he was like, Yeah, but I mean, if the company doesn't do anything, don't worry about the shares. But I mean, they're giving you <laughs> a bunch of shares of the company. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I could always quit, whatever. So yeah. I take the job and then the first day on the job, they said, Okay, you're gonna go out to all these retailers and you're gonna get you're gonna help us figure out how to make money and you're gonna go to people like the gap. If you can get the gap to do to work with us as a partner, they're in San Francisco. And so, you know, I knew how to cold call people and just reach out. And all of a sudden, in a couple of days, I had a meeting with Mickey Drexler at The Gap. They're like, how in the world did you get a meeting with the CEO of The Gap? And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going. We'll see what happens. Suddenly, I'm like teaching Mickey the difference between he I'll never forget. I bring in this laptop and he's like, is that a television or is that like a (laughs) I mean, this is somebody who's like a major executive at that yeah. time at The Gap. And and that was like a lesson that I learned, um, you know, just from kind of those days too, is that, you know, when you're teaching somebody something totally new that they're curious about, it doesn't matter what your level is, right? Like they'll mm-hmm. they'll allow you to come in as long as you're not wasting their time. And I would spend hours with these top executives because Mm -hmm. I would simplify they'd say wait what's the difference between AOL it's an online service versus the internet Mm -hmm. I'm like don't worry about it like you don't need to worry about any of that you're all online like everybody's online do the easier one the one that's more graphically interesting and don't worry about those because they're there's nothing to worry about you tell executives and decision makers, what they need to worry about. And you got to be right, what they do need to worry about. But you, sub- you suddenly become a resource for them, right? And they want to work with you right. because they sound smarter and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, that was my days at 2Market. Uh, one of our investors, America Online, um, ended up uh, acquiring us. We were kind of doing work for our CD-ROM and then doing – there was a sort of a gap, like a, uh, time when we were doing both working on AOL as well as, um, to market, but soon AOL acquired us. And so suddenly I was asked to run, um,
1: so your, so your shares, Kara ended up being worth something.
2: They were worth a little something at that <laughs> point. And then, uh, a few stock splits and had lots of fun with that. And mm-hmm. then, um, and then I was the youngest, uh, vice president in the company, one of the few females at that level at AOL. And my job was basically to build out an online mall. And, Mm -hmm. and so I just continued to do that. I mean, people would say to me, how do you know what to do? And I would go to the Stanford mall or, um, you know, the, the bigger malls across the country and start to think about upscale malls versus this and try and mimic that. I mean, it wasn't that hard to figure out. It's just, you know, you try and figure out what exists now that I can, you know, kind of think about um, and and model after. Not exactly, but if Nordstrom is in the mall, like, you know, how do I get the people that want to be around Nordstroms? Or, you know, whatever, Bergdorf um or you know whatever that is I mean try and figure out what do I want to be and um so I did that for seven years it was a billion dollars um in revenue to AOL and after that I thought I haven't taken a break like at all and I have these young kids I don't want to miss them um this is at a time when I kept thinking you know people are like oh they grow up so fast you know I mean, I had many people who were older than me that were, um, you know, colleagues or partners. They're like, oh, you know, everything that they say, you know, about women and uh, about, you know, having kids like find the balance. And and suddenly <laughs> I, I was just I was sitting in the space where I was like, I, I don't know how to find the balance. Maybe I need to just jump off the train for a little bit and just Mm -hmm. focus on being a mom. And I did that. And I'm Mm -hmm. really happy I did that. I did that for a couple of years. I didn't know how long I would do it. But it was during that time, I started thinking about how to feed my kids and how Mm -hmm. to, you know, and buy things for them too. I haven't stopped buying, right? I'm buying diapers and I'm buying everything else. And I want Mm -hmm. it to be, you know, quality stuff and good stuff. And, and um, I started focusing on what they were putting in their bodies. And I had this rule that I had to understand what was on the label. And um, if I didn't understand it, if it took a lot of research, I just wouldn't buy it anymore. And the practices that I started looking at for my kids, I realized that I wasn't Following those rules in my own life. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was, and I was drinking a ton of diet soda. And one day the label just happened to be sitting on the table facing me. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of things in this diet soda that I don't really know what I'm drinking. And I want to be a good mom for, for my kids. I want to be around for them. And it scares me. And that's when I decided I'm going to put it to the side, just like what I would do for my kids and see what happens. And so I started drinking water. As you know, I grew up in Mm -hmm. Arizona. I never drank a lot of water. That's why I drank diet soda. And, and I started, you know, looking at, the uh looking at what was happening to me I had never really said that I had health issues um out loud but I had gained a bunch of weight that I couldn't lose from mostly in my pregnancies and Mm. um and then I had also developed terrible adult acne that I never even had as Mm. like a teenager and I I never put two and two together and then when I gave up a diet soda for a couple of weeks um that's when two and a half weeks in, I jumped on the scale and I had lost 24 pounds in two and a half weeks. Um, I had, I mean, it was crazy. I was not changing anything else, but the diet soda and my skin totally cleared up. And I thought, whoa, like what is going on here? This is crazy. I didn't increase my exercise. I didn't, I mean, nothing else. And I just couldn't figure it out. So that's when I said, well, I'm never going back to drinking diet soda, but what is it about this? Is it this diet sweeteners that's causing this? That's crazy. And I became very curious and very, I mean, I did everything like call Coca-Cola on the phone and talk to their customer (laughs) service people. I'm like, what is it? Like, what have you been feeding me for so many years? Like, why are you, why is diet like isn't diet healthier for you? And, you know, they would say, no, 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 no. It's just based on calories. And I was like, wait, what? What do you, I mean, I, again, I had time, I wasn't working. So I had my kids, but I'm like, I can make a phone call here and there and see what happens. And, (laughs) you know, that was, that was me. And, and again, like I was kind of starting to interview for different roles. I think one of the things that I, you know, say went to, people like my biggest challenge was people wanted me to do what I had already done so they wanted me to redo what I had done for AOL versus versus instead what I wanted to do was something new that I was really curious about that I was you know that I was interested in that I could have impact in some way and that's when I thought well while I'm thinking about that maybe I can Get this product that I've been making in my kitchen to create a better tasting water. Maybe I can. I've been adding fruit to my water, so maybe I can just take that into uh, my local Whole Foods that had just opened and see if I can mm-hmm. get it on the shelf. I never said I want to go be an entrepreneur. I I knew enough about like people are like, where'd you find the courage? I think I I never really said I'm going to go be an entrepreneur or I'm going to go start a company. Instead, I just said, I'm just going to get it on the shelf.
1: And is this, is this why you call yourself an accidental entrepreneur? Yeah.
2: Cause I, I didn't really like, I didn't sit there and say to myself, Oh, you know, like sometimes you, if you think too much about the end, you'll never get Past the beginning, right? What do you have to do in order to kind of officially be able to call yourself an entrepreneur, right? You have to get a product. You have to imagine being able to get a product on the shelf. And so that's what I did. I said, you know, yes, I guess I'm starting a company, but I mean, that sounds really scary. It even sounds scary to me today. I mean, to go start <laughs> a company or become an entrepreneur, that sounds hard. Instead, <laughs> focusing on, you know, getting a product that you think will actually solve a problem to the shelf. Oh. And that is exactly, you know, what I focused on and, and what I did. And I think once I got it on the shelf and people were buying it, then I started thinking, okay, well, maybe I am an entrepreneur. People would say <laughs> to me, you know, like, how did you, I mean, how did you find the courage? You were at a large company and I'm like, well, they weren't large. Like when I was at CNN, I mean, it was 40% of households. It wasn't that big. I mean, it was like, but again, that, I think now as Steve jobs used to say, like, you know, the dots eventually connect, I think working for entrepreneurs, knowing that they were real people, um, you know, that they were people that, um, you know, had failures, had scary days, had to um, you know, at times look like they had it together when they really didn't. Right. It was it was a um, you know, definitely a great training wheels um for being able to do my own thing. So um so yeah, I mean that was kind of the beginnings of, of starting my own company.
1: I started to say, um, Carrie, you there's a couple things I want to go back to we're on this path. Tell us about Hint. Um, I actually have a blackberry one sitting on my table right now, and I saw it on the shelf in Target just this weekend. So uh, you were also gracious enough to send us some, and so we've tried several different flavors. but, But I know you said it started by you just started flavoring your own water and it led to this I also was looking through your book. And I know one of your biggest struggles was how do you get, you know, how do you take it where it really lasts longer and, and you have uh, it preserved in a way that it, it would have shelf life. So, so discuss that a little bit more.
2: Yeah. Well, one of the, probably one of the hardest situations we had and sort of my, you know, taste of reality was you know we're trucking along we're we're getting hint into stores like whole foods and a few other markets in the bay area but i mean i was good i had two pressures one i started to see that that getting it into places like costco and target and even conventional grocery stores it, it's not just about getting it on the shelf it's about you know getting it a distributor they don't want uh-huh. thousands of vendors coming into the grocery store because then there's no room for customers, right? So yeah. they want you to be able to have a shelf-stable product that can um, that can stay in a warehouse for a while. So they can order a bunch and one distributor comes and drops uh-huh. off stuff. So I was learning this whole new world. Again, I had been in bits and bytes. I hadn't been in physical world products and certainly uh-huh. not in, you know, the grocery industry too. And so, I was a quick study on this, but trying really hard to figure out, okay, how do I get through this challenge overall? And, you know, they wanted a product that had longer shelf life. Well, the only way that anyone knew how to do that was to add preservatives. So Mm -hmm. I didn't want any preservatives in the product. I also didn't want um, sweeteners in the product and I wanted to use, you know, real fruit. And, and so for me, it was um, it. You know, I didn't know really how to do that. I had sort of recruited my husband. He was in between uh, roles. He had been at Netscape while I was at AOL, and um, Netscape actually was bought um, by AOL Time Warner, and and so <laughs> he had left. We all of our former companies were now one, and so. I was like, listen, I'm, I'm pregnant with our fourth. Maybe you can help me like deliver some cases to whole foods. Cause I, I just got an order and he was like, wait, what you're, you're going to start a beverage company. And he's just kind of going along for the ride <laughs> laughing about this, but sort of crying at the same time. Yeah. And, um, and so when I, when I would tell him share some of the problems that I had, like this one about getting a longer shelf life, his response was um well you know have i don't know i mean have you talked to this person have you talked to this person yes 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 and nobody seems to think and he's and so finally he was like i i don't think it's possible and i said well what can we do and he said well you can drive your you know you can drive a truck around and just give less product to stores because you kind of know how much product people go through. Um, I wouldn't recommend that. But I'm like, well, no, that sounds good. That that's what we'll do. We'll just keep like we'll, we'll only instead of 10 cases, we'll deliver five cases. And but it wasn't scalable. It was like crazy mm-hmm. what he was sort of jokingly recommending. And so yeah. when I said I didn't want to use preservatives in the product, um, he said, well, let's, you know, let's think about this. What, you know, what about if we like use heat and i again science i was i was a a journalism communications journalism major with a minor in finance i was not into science and he was he was before he went to law school i mean he is a son of a doctor too so he really thought about okay well maybe this is what we should do instead and um and so i mean he was really the one early on that you know was helping me kind of think about okay here's what we could do and that's ultimately how we were able to scale the company um and and be able to stay in whole foods and stay in other or get into other stores because we figured out a way to um essentially get a longer shelf life just by using heat um and Mm -hmm. just it's a pseudo pasteurization process that is used in the juice industry, but it wasn't used in the water industry. But again, like, you know, a lot of people think like beverage is beverage. It's they're, they're just different. Like even today, I mean, juice versus water versus um, you know, carbonated water versus uh, beer or wine. I mean, they're all made a little bit different. There's some crossover, but there's some key things that, you know, really make it different. And that's what we were realizing together.
1: Hmm. So interesting. Um, You know, I'm really old, so I remember my uh, grandparents, you know, preserving things in the big pressure cookers. And I'm sure that's a world apart from what you do. But when you said using heat, that's the visual that came to my mind. You know, um, Carrie, you said something back uh, a little bit ago that you were the first, you were the youngest VP in the company. For AOL, and you were also a female in this role. Can you expand on that a little bit and tell us uh, what that was like at that given stage in your life? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think
2: probably the hardest thing for me, it sounds great. I was just having this conversation with somebody yesterday, actually. I thought it was, it, and it was kind of eye opening to her in particular. She was, um, worked for a company and sort of in the same kind of situation that I was in. And she had just didn't know what my story was at at AOL, but was, um, you know, just asking my advice in general. I think that the thing that I didn't really realize is when you sort of rise up, you know, into the ranks inside of a company, it all sounds great. Like, oh, you get to be a vice president and you do this. (laughs) But while the rest of your friends that you really want to hang out with are sitting there at the normal levels mm-hmm. it's like it's uncomfortable right because people okay. will be like oh you get to go to meetings with other people it's like you you know in in some ways maybe it's like you're with the popular crowd in their mind yeah you're mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like versus yeah they're not they they're, there's this mystery that exists um mm-hmm. that that i think is is really it's hard right it's like being okay. it's like you know, being in in the smart area, like in their mind, the the smart students, right? Where you uh-huh. like, oh, it's it's so nice to be like that. Everyone has their own perspective um, on kind of what what you're going through. But I think more than anything, what I found is it was very hard because every time I would show up, it was, you know, oh, what's that person like? You know, the senior people, uh-huh. or can you help me figure out how to navigate my career? Um, uh-huh. Versus, and and I think it's like, you know, especially when you want these people just to be your friends and you want that downtime, it's hard, right? It's hard when you're different. It's hard when you're, you know, smarter or or more popular or, right? Like, again, I'm not describing me. I'm saying that in any situation, right, where it's like everything has its upside and its downside. And I think for me you know, kind of being in that more senior level role, what I realized is, I mean, there were other people that I knew as I rose through the ranks and was managing people, there were other people that I know that chose not to manage any people. And they were, you know, and some days, I think they were the smartest people in the room, right? (laughs) Right. You know, because you'd be like, all I want to do is focus on growing the business, but then I've got to deal with this personnel issue or, you know that sort of stuff that I think is, is the stuff that people just don't really think about. And Mm -hmm. I think it's, yes, you get more money, you get more equity, you get more of stuff, but what do you really want to be doing? I think is, Mm -hmm. is the key. And I think for me, I wanted, I, I wanted to have a work environment where I was learning, but I also wanted a social environment, you know, Mm -hmm. in every place that I was at. And I think it's, it's hard. And I think there's still, you know, a, kind of thinking too, when you've got the boss walking into the room, um, that you're not one of them. Right. I think, I think like that's, that is the, um, that's kind of the feeling, right. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, that it's hard, it's hard to, to sort of play both of those roles. So I think I saw that firsthand when I was at AOL and, you know, I think frankly, it continues. And I think a lot of CEOs talk about that too. It's like, it's hard Mm -hmm. to, you know, especially when, when you're signing paychecks, right. And Mm -hmm. you're making decisions. It's just, it's
1: can be very, um, lonely if you will. And totally hard to have someone you trust to be able to lean on, you know, in that situation, you, you also talked about the, the, um, to market company you worked for, and there were five guys in a small office. Uh, How was that walking in? I know you had, you mentioned you had older brothers, so that probably helped you uh, with, you know, just navigating that. Um, What was that like as a female in these with these techie guys, which seems like you were very interested in that anyway. And some of them very smart guys, um, or at least book smart guys. Uh, What was, what was that like going to work every day? Do you have any problems there?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that I, I, I still talk about when I was at two market, I'll never forget one of the people who was making the decision on whether or not I would join the team or not said, "Hey, do you do you feel like you can contribute to what we're doing?" Maybe he was even thinking, I don't know if she can contribute or not, and I said, <laughs> you know, of, of course I can. And I think like that's a question that I still ask people when I'm interviewing them because I think it it allows you to reflect can I really contribute or do I have no idea what I'm doing here? Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think it, it really speaks. It's a great interviewing question. Cause it, it's like, it's one where, you know, yes, they're probably trying to like, they want to think how you're going to, what you're going to do right out of the gate and whether or not it really, if you're curious about something and whether or not, you know, they understand you. Right. And so I remember that getting that question and, thinking part of me like a tiny part of me was like I don't really know for sure the worst that can happen is I could quit I mean if it's not really going to work out mm-hmm. but I really felt like that was an invitation to contribute and so mm-hmm. that was um and that's you know really what the situation was where it was there was a skill set and a spark in me that they saw that they didn't have mm-hmm. and so I was able to come in and Um, you know do business development and kind of go out they were they were building the product Um, they weren't um, they weren't you know going out and speaking to partners like mickey drexler so i think like that being able to really add something to the team i think that they weren't doing or they didn't know how to do i think is is really is really useful and look, I think growing up with brothers probably helped my confidence. But I also think, you know, having um, parents who really believed in me and said, Mm -hmm. said, you know, you can do anything. And they really believed that too. They weren't just saying it just to be Mm -hmm. nice parents. They really believed that you can do anything you set your mind to. And Mm -hmm. I think like, that's something that I tell people all the time, there's a lot of things you can do, whether or not you choose to do that or believe that you can do it. I think it starts there. Like you, you have to believe that you can do something and want to do something. And if you don't believe you can, and you don't really want to do something, your chances are very low that you will.
1: You know, Carrie, you also mentioned, um, that you had a fourth pregnancy. So I assume you have at least four children. You know, you also talked about taking off a couple years before you basically just had time to think about what your company was going to be or what you were going to do. But what was it like with having kids and building this company and being even an accidental entrepreneur?
2: Like any normal human being with kids, um, you've you've uh you know you look at days where maybe you have some challenging days right maybe the buyer at such and such store has told you that this isn't going to happen you know you seem like everything is going wrong and or it seems like everything is going wrong then you know you come home and you get a call from the school nurse and you know it's just like it's a it's one of those days it's the days where you hear from your kids that you're doing something a little bit different. Like the day that I heard from my son Keenan when he was watching Sheryl Sandberg on TV talking about leaning in and how <laughs> there aren't very many women who are CEOs. He uh-huh. overheard the conversation and he said, oh, that's really strange. Like you've always been a CEO ever since I can remember. <laughs> and I didn't realize there aren't very many of you. And I thought, okay, where's this conversation going? And he said, "I think it's really great. I just never really thought about it. And just by doing what you love and doing what you do every single day, you're you're teaching your kids tenacity um, that it's okay to be different, that it's um, that do something that you love, face challenges when things go, you know, head south." Right then, you know you bring it back in some way, and I I think that that's the key thing, you know that I've seen in my kids. Now I've got one in graduate school, two in college, one who's a junior in high school, and they're all very different kids. But I think they think that the sky's the limit for them. You know they they do what they're passionate about. This my son Keenan that I was just talking about he um, he loves cars. And he is not like your typical kid who's like, you know, designing cars or, um, you know, drawing cars or, or racing cars or, you know, whatever he, um, he's actually bought two BMWs and he's so curious about redoing cars. And so he (laughs) turned a car we have too many cars in our driveway right now, but we have some nice old BMWs that he drives. He turned an automatic transmission into a manual oh, wow. only because he wanted to. Yeah. And I was like, okay. I mean, not very many people do that. And he said, well, that was the reason I wanted to do it. I wanted to see if I could do it. And I'm like, okay, are you going to sell it now? Nope. I like the car too much. I put too much work into it. Why would I want to sell it? Because you go to school somewhere else. And like, you, you're you taking up space in my driveway. And he said, <laughs> it'll be fine. I'll put a cover on it. Oh, that still takes up space in my driveway. But I started
1: to say, yeah, you know, a cover is going to make it invisible.
2: In- invisible, right? Oh. But but again, I think what he's learning, he just reached out to me this morning and he's like, We're, I'm part of this group YPO. And he said, can you find somebody in the YPO network? who's at Porsche or BMW because I really want to move to Germany and I oh. want it and I want to go work. At, I want to, I want to help them think about sustainability in, you know, cars and I don't know like it, it, like again, but what, what did he learn there? Did he learn it all from me? Who knows? But he, but he basically is thinking about doing what you love. Do it, do something that you're curious about networking. Like he's, he's, you know again he's like i i know you're really busy right now but if there's any way you can figure out if you know anybody there yeah. and maybe you do maybe you don't he's not asking me to go find him a job he's right. just saying do you know anybody cuz i would love to intern there this summer that's what i want to do and i'm like okay i'll look right and again where does he learn that i mean there's a lot of kids who mm-hmm. i wouldn't have when i was in college i wasn't sitting here thinking about moving to europe and trying to figure out and doing something that you love. He doesn't even know what the job is called, but he knows enough that he'd love to work for a company that he, uh, like he loves the product. Right. And he thinks about it differently. And he, and that's what he's passionate about. So, um, so again, I think for me, sometimes you don't learn about balance and sort of what, you know, the work that you've put in until, um, until later but I think it's it's like the balance just comes from even that conversation I think is is knowing what you've done that is good
1: you know there's no greater gift than than trying to instill in your children something and actually seeing that someday and I do I will say this for the audience uh it's not always tomorrow (laughs) totally that they have uh, taken some of those traits and applied them you know Kara we're coming to the end of our time and it's been a delight I think we could sit here a couple more hours and learn from you but I always kind of try to end with uh, you telling us what your favorite books are and I know you have a great book um, that I have looked through undaunted and underlined many things that to ask you questions about but we certainly don't have time today um but but do you have a list of your favorite books and your book is called undaunted um so tell us what you love to read or or what's on your list because i know you're very curious and you you just said earlier how important that is to think through so so give us give us part of your reading list
2: yeah, well, I just um, there's a few books. I I guess there's some leadership books in particular that I've been uh, that I've been reading. I'm on. I I sort of go through phases where I'll, you know, read the best of uh, Reese Witherspoon's list, and then I'll like read leadership <laughs> books. I jump back and forth, but I'll Absolutely. my leadership ones. So this is an old book, but the Trillion Dollar Coach um, by Bill Campbell. He was a fairly famous. Um, Uh, CEO who passed away in Silicon Valley, but just has so many lessons on just leadership overall. Um, Another one just on time management, there was a, there's a guy, um, Ken Blanchard. I actually, Mm -hmm. his book just came out. I just got a copy of it. Actually just interviewed him for my podcast, Um, but he wrote the one minute manager. I'm sure you've heard of that, but it's called simple truths of leadership and it talks a lot about trust and building trust. And I think there are so many leadership things that apply to just being human mm-hmm. um, in that book as well. Uh, what else? Oh, I just read. Here's another one. Who's one of uh, Whitney Johnson, um, Smart Growth, How to Grow Your People Within Companies. Um, so another one that I think is um, just excellent. And Whitney is, she's written a couple of books. She's just an absolute gem of a leader. Um, So again, I'm constantly like uh, not only reading books, but also listening. And, and I think I love your podcast as well. So I'm, I've uh, you know, since I launched my book, I've, I've um, gotten to know so many podcasts that I didn't know about and started listening more and more. So I'm, I think I've, I've probably taken some of my time away from reading to listen to some of the podcasts or listen to some of the books out there. Cause I really enjoy um, doing both.
1: Uh, you know what? That's so, I've always been a reader um, and I, I think podcasts are, you, you can wander around a long time in podcasts, uh, but there, there's some great just some great nuggets and gems out there as you as you just wander around and there's there's a podcast on every subject almost so totally
2: yeah and it just helps you think I think that there's stuff out there too that you know is just it just helps you think about things too that maybe you don't get to think about so I like just sort of cruising around and
1: yeah it's a great thing Well, I've appreciated so much your time today. And I know that um, so many people listening will just, you know, gather up all the gems that you have given us today. And I have so many quotes. I I will say you have real courage. Uh, You didn't really say that, but I was thinking that from an early age. And and I thank you for having the courage to just jump out there and and just meet people and do things and and uh, you said something earlier. Sometimes you just don't know enough to be you know. Uh, you didn't use the word intimidated, but I'll use that here by by thinking you can't just call up and show up in New York. Uh, so that's a that's a wonderful thing. We need to instill that into you know all our friends and children and cohorts so so i want to thank you so much for your time today and i appreciate it so much and i'll look forward to finishing your book and just to listening to your podcast now,
2: thank you so much and thanks everybody uh for for listening to my stories and hopefully you'll get a chance to read Undaunted as well okay all
1: right well thanks so much thank you Thank you.